And good morning to you. I'm Dave Mitchell. I'm the assistant to the senior pastor. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of our church. Since he's alive, I didn't get his job. If he had died, he might have passed it on as inheritance, but I don't want his job. So we're here to honor him and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for being alive and caring for us. He is a powerful God and he wants to interact with us. And this morning, the emphasis is going to be all about being set free by the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's still in the business of changing lives. And there's a lot of intrigue about Christ being alive. In fact, if you go on the TV, you see that there's a television show called Resurrection. It's all about in this little community somewhere where there's people coming back to life. They're suddenly showing up in the city and they never expected to see them again. So there's an intrigue factor about it. I wouldn't watch Resurrection to determine my theology, but it's kind of intriguing how they are focused on that particular point. There's a movie coming out called Heaven is Real, about a little boy that had gone to uh, uh, heaven and come back and tells things to people that they couldn't have possibly known or he couldn't have possibly known uh, had he not been in heaven. And so again, there's the intrigue about the life that follows this life. And then there's this movie that is out there right now called God is Not Dead. And it's a movie that if you'd like to have somebody be convinced about the reality of what we believe in, this is being, might be a tool to at least help them focus on some of the areas of concern. But the most important thing for me is how the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually impacts our lives. There's a story about it that I read uh, about a family who had two little boys called David and Andrew. Uh, both of their children, sadly, had muscular dystrophy. And as a result of that, they died at an early age. And David, in particular, was confined to a wheelchair. But I love how the resurrected Jesus set him free from a very terrible and difficult disease that prematurely ended his life. He was being pushed around in a, in a mall by one of his friends in his wheelchair. And the friend said this to him, If you could have just one wish, what would it be? And here's what David said. This is how the resurrected Jesus impacts his life. David replied, Nothing. I've got Jesus. My mom and my dad love me. And my friends like you, you help me over the speed bumps. And then smilingly he said quietly, Besides, I know where I'm going. And there ain't no wheelchairs there. And... As he was preparing for his own funeral service, this remarkable little boy, he told his father, I want you to speak at my service, Dad. And I want you to spend all the time just talking about heaven. Tell them about heaven. The point is, that's where I'm going to be. And I want them to have that hope as well. And that simple little faith of that child being confined to the wheelchair in this life, it didn't overcome him because he had a hope in the resurrected Jesus. Now, sort of in an Instagram way, I want to take some snapshots of individuals who were close to Christ and they needed the resurrected Jesus to set them free as well. The familiar stories of three individuals that if you know the New Testament, they will ring true. There's first of all is Thomas. Thomas represents the kind of people that are really in a, really in a, state of doubt about whether Jesus is for real, whether his resurrection really matters to us. And so we have the little cliche, the doubting Thomases. So I'm sure he loves that legacy for the rest of, <laughs> for the, rest of the history of mankind. Uh, the doubting Thomases follows his storyline. But in John chapter 20, verse 24, we read this, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, 
was not with them when Jesus came. You see, the disciples had gathered together after the crucifixion, after the burial, and the resurrection occurred, and Christ had previously visited all the other disciples, but Thomas was not in that room. So now another scene arrives, and Thomas is in this room. And so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. He instantly and mysteriously and miraculously appeared, Jesus did. Then Thomas said, then he said to Thomas, I should say, reach here with your finger. See my hands? Reach here with your hand. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. You see, Jesus had heard all the words that Thomas had said, even though Jesus wasn't there. So he's tracking with Thomas. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He was convinced of the reality of Christ. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. There are three things that I would say on Thomas's Instagram, and they are these. When I have doubts about Christ, I need to know that in Thomas's case, which is really to illustrate for all of our cases, that Jesus desires to connect with us. He wants to come and approach us. That Jesus Christ appeared miraculously. That he said, peace be to you. I don't come to judge you, Thomas. I don't come to criticize you. I'm not going to sarcastically come alongside and just sort of malign you for your lack of faith in me, even though you've been with me for three years. He didn't do any of that. He didn't have any grudge. He says, Thomas, I want to reconnect with you. I'm sorry to have missed you in the previous resurrection scene, but I knew that you would be in this room, and I heard what you said, so I wanted to show up and reconnect. Jesus Christ loves to come to those who are skeptics, who are doubters, who are unconvinced. Christ says, I want to come to you. Let's have a chat about that. Because what Christ, secondly, we learn is this, that he invites us to explore the real facts. Jesus isn't cowering. He's not hiding. He's not trying to be secretive. This isn't some special club that only those true believers can get into. He says, I want to go to those who doubt. I want to go and engage with you because I invite you to explore every aspect about who I am, what I said, what I did. I have nothing to hide and I fear, I don't fear anything that you would discover. That's why Jesus said to him, Thomas, I heard what you said. So here, take your finger, put it in my hands, put it in my side. Check it out for yourself. God loves for us to come alongside and explore those things we doubt. But the beautiful thing about what we believe is that our faith is based upon reason. We don't have just blind faith, crazy blind faith that it's not based upon anything factual. There are facts that support the faith we believe. It's a little bit like this coming week. On Friday, I'm getting on an airplane, and it's a 777, the 777. The 777 was the airplane that crashed, that was the Malaysian Airlines. And so it's comforting to know that it's got a track record like that. But I'm getting on that 777 with my wife, not on blind faith. Blind faith would say, if 50% of all 777s crash, I'm going to get on it anyways. Well, that would be ludicrous. 
Would you get on an airplane that 50% of those airplanes never get to their destination? No one would do that. That's stupid faith. My faith is based upon the reason that 99.9% of the airplanes, triple sevens, get to the destination that I want to get to. My luggage may not be there, but I believe that I will get there if I get on that airplane. Because statistically, it's proven that most of them make it to their destination. In fact, almost all of them. In fact, it's a rarity that the Malaysian airline would crash as it did. And so my faith in the airplane is based upon reason, based upon facts, based upon experience, based upon science. Jesus comes to Thomas and in much the same way. He says, Thomas, I want you to believe in me, but I know you need more facts. I, need, I know you need more evidence. And I invite you to check it out for yourself. Wouldn't you want to know that what you believe is wrong before you die? And so Christ comes to all of us. He says, I invite you to check it out. That's why this coming week, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, we have this thing in the bulletin advertising those two Sundays called Blockbuster Questions. The next two Sundays we're going to have Craig Hazen and then Sean McDowell. And they're going to speak to the issue of why we believe what we believe is true. Why is our God the true God that we can trust in? Sean McDowell, why is there evil in the world where God is a good God? We don't shy away from the tough questions because we believe once you do your homework, once you explore the facts, once you know the Jesus we know, your doubts begin to erode away and your faith begins to grow because our faith is built upon reason. One of the authors that I put in the back side of the outline that you can check out in our bookstore is Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell has written a, a, a lot of books. One is uh, More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Josh wrote those books as he had, in pursuit of atheism, a desire to prove that what Christians believe is wrong. As he researched the facts, the more knowledge he gained, the more he studied, the more he convinced that he's wrong as an atheist. And now he is one of the strongest proponents and speakers to the belief in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so the more you explore the facts, the more you have faith that Christ is for real. So that we get to the point where we receive the promise of a blessed life. That's why Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? That's okay. I want to give you as many facts as you need. And I'm an analytical guy. I need a lot of facts. But he says, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. On the back side of the outline, I give you four blessings that can be yours if you believe in Jesus Christ. One of those blessings is that if I die, I instantly go to be with God in heaven. I don't have to go through any other passageway. I don't have to have anybody else praying for me. Once I die in Jesus Christ, believing in Him as my Savior, I instantly go to heaven. That's a blessing to realize, like David with muscular dystrophy, that he knew that once he died, there's no wheelchairs in heaven. He understands the blessing of believing in the resurrected Jesus because that life can be his as well. Well, that's one person. That's Thomas for the doubters. We learn from him. Then there's also Peter. Peter is the kind of guy that has dropped out from the church. Peter walked with Jesus for a few years. He's a fisherman. And Jesus invited him to follow him as a fisherman as he walked the earth. But in the last week of Christ's life, when it counted the most before the crucifixion, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. In the most critical time of his life, he betrayed his Lord, Jesus Christ. 
And now after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is alive. He has met with the men. But Peter has reached a point where he says, man, I don't need this anymore. I've kind of lost the vision and the direction of what God wants for me. So in John 21, after the resurrection, Christ has still not gone up into heaven, but he's not here with the disciples. It says in 21.1, And after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the son of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll come with you also. And so they went out, they got in a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Peter, just you stop it right there. Peter's the kind of guy that says, Jesus, it was great to be with you for a while. It was a wild ride, loved the miracles. It was amazing what you could do. I had a little failure at the end. Sorry I didn't finish well with you, Jesus. Glad that you're resurrected. Good for everybody else. But I'm going fishing. I'm done with it. I've lost the vision. I've lost the passion. And when Christ comes to Peter now, he approaches him. They're having caught nothing until Jesus told him to catch the net on the other side. Then they caught some of the biggest catches of fish they could ever catch. Peter swam to shore when he saw that it was Jesus on the shore. And so in verse 15 we read, So when they had finished breakfast, they, they had a little snack. Wouldn't it be nice to have breakfast with a resurrected person? Well, that's what they did. What would you talk about with a resurrected Jesus eating broiled fish? So when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The these may be the fish, the these may be the other disciples, but you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, Peter, I wanted to come back to you. I remember one of the last times I saw you before I was crucified. There you were with that woman denying that you know me. But now I come to you again out of love, out of a desire to renew the relationship. A lot of people drop out from church because they've lost the passion of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've lost the identity with a community of people that love Jesus Christ. And, and Peter, I want to surround you with those that love me. And I want you to be in a love relationship with me as well. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I don't criticize you. I invite you back. So come back. And those who have dropped out have lost that relationship and the value of community so that he can send them out and find this wonderful purpose for your life. When Jesus called Peter in Matthew 4, he says, I want to take you and make you a fisher of men. You know what Jesus does? He takes especially the 20-something crowd as they're beginning to uh, determine the course of the rest of their lives after education. What career? What profession? What job? What calling do I have? What Jesus wants to do is to take that profession, that career, that job, and He wants to infuse it with His purpose and His power. He wants you to see that it's more than just getting a paycheck. It's more than just paying the rent and the mortgage. It's more than just sort of managing the bills and the finances. It's more than just drudgery every day and hoping you can find a hobby that will make you feel better about life. Jesus says, I want to interact with you. And so he comes to Peter first. He says, I want to make you fishers of men. I want to give you a higher purpose than just the paycheck of catching fish. I want you now, using another metaphor, 
See the lambs that are out there, those that are my followers. I want you to tend to them. I want that to be your calling, the highest calling, to find something bigger and better than yourself and be part of that. What Christ comes to the dropouts, He says, I want to re-infuse you with a power and a purpose that goes beyond the everyday mundane, I'm just going to go catch fish. I want you to do something better. And then finally, Peter needs, he needs insight about life. Jesus came to him and again and he interacted with him. But the very simple little phrase here in verse 19. Now he's saying this by what kind of death Peter would die. But when he had spoken to them, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means I want to know that wherever I go, Christ is ahead of me. That's why I half jokingly but really seriously I say, I don't want to be the senior pastor of Calvary Church. I never want Jesus' job. I want to know that when I am in allegiance and following Christ, He's the one who has led the way. It is His will that I am pursuing so that I know that whatever misstep I may take, whatever disappointment I may go through, whatever hazardous duty may come my way, I want to know that if something tragic happens, some painful experience may occur, whether it's health or something else, that I have been following Jesus and I'm still walking in His steps, I'm still doing His will, I'm fulfilling His calling in my life, and so I know that I'm on His pathway, and sometimes in that pathway painful things will occur, but I know I'm still following Him. I'd much rather be under His leadership when something bad happens than under my own leadership where my impulses and my desires can lead me off that path and suddenly I'm in a tragic place where I say, God, I'm a mess. Help me get out of this mess. We deal with people every week who have in their own impulses and their own poor decisions have dropped out and aren't following Jesus and now they're in a mess of their own making and we want to help them get back on that path. As Christ came to Peter, having dropped out and gone back to the only job he knew how to do, fish for real fish. Now Jesus says, I want you to fish for men because I love you. And I invite you back on the journey. Learn from me. David Kinnaman has written a book about those who have dropped out from the church. And he says this about the importance of following Jesus and the wisdom that he gives to us to guide us. Wisdom is the idea of skillful living. Wisdom entails the spiritual and mental and emotional ability to relate lightly to God, to others, to our culture. Becoming wise does not happen by simply saying the prayer or by memorizing a list of do's and don'ts or by signing a pledge or by completing a six-week course. Instead, it is a lifetime process of deep transformation through faith in Christ, knowledge of God's Word, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, and engaging in rich community with other believers. That is what it means to follow Jesus. We're not in the process of creating bureaucratic regulations and religious rituals and routines for people to go through that simply makes them feel like they're being spiritual. We want to call people, and Christ most importantly is calling for people like Peter who have dropped out, who've lost the vision, who no longer have a passion for what Jesus has called us to, and say, Which, won't you re-engage, because I invite you back. 
to be part of a community of other believers. So we have Celebrate Recovery that helps those who have challenges in addictions. So I have a care ministry of counseling for people who have stumbled along the way and, and need someone to come alongside and help them follow Jesus again. We have a number of ways that we support those on a journey where sometimes it's pretty tough. And we would love to walk that path with you. So what we've seen now are two individuals who really of their own making have created some issues. But Jesus comes and very kindly reaches out to them. Whether Thomas with all those doubts, Christ says, check it out, man. Here are the facts. I'm transparent. Learn all you can because I fear nothing from what you may learn from me. And then Peter failed, dropped out, but Jesus says, come on back. I still love you. Let, let me make it uh, now in a much lower simplistic plane of this world. One of the things that, uh, that I struggle with at times is a kind of a love-hate relationship with cats. Some of you write me notes and you have sent me books about cats. I've got books about cats. I've got stuffed animals of cats. I, get, uh, I had shingles the last few weeks. I get cards from cats. And so it's just like, thank you very much. But the love-hate relationship goes this way. I love cats, but they hate me. And that's kind of a problem. Well, this last week it was illustrated for me once again. Our daughters have homes here locally, and they have homes that are side by side, coincidentally. We didn't plan it that way, but it just so happened. And so they share a back wall in the backyard. Well, I had to go to Kirstie's house and check out something. On the other side is Jessica's house, and Jessica has a cat. She got a cat named Penelope. We don't know where we went wrong, but she got a cat anyways. And so. Penelope's been to our house. I have fed Penelope. I have given water to Penelope. I have tried to mend things that Penelope has stuck her claws in to tear and rip away. I'm just a wonderful guy that way. But Penelope really doesn't enjoy me very much. So this last weekend I went into Kiersey's backyard. I had to fix something back there. So I opened the outside gate into her backyard. And as I walked inside, 10 feet in front of me, there was Penelope staring me down in her neighbor's yard using Kirstie's yard for her toilet. And I know Jessica loves that, but that's just the way it goes. And so Penelope and I are kind of staring at each other. And so I said, Penelope. So I got down like this. It's so good to see you. Come on. Let's, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted her to jump in my arms and let her purr in my arms and just enjoy the warmth of a little kitty cat, right? So when I got down like that and sort of stooped towards her, her back, you know how they do? Her back goes up like this, and she hisses at me. <laughs> These really awful teeth that needed some braces. She hisses at me. And I was insulted. I've had people do that, but I've never had an animal do that to me. So I was offended. I was personally offended by her judgmental and intolerant attitude. I think that's just not very, it's just not very Christian. And it made me in my own mind's eye, think about this now in a more spiritual plane. I, I actually opened the gate and let her get out of the backyard because she couldn't get out of the yard by herself. And she scampered back into Jessica's yard where she belongs. And she never looked back and thanked me or anything. But I'm just, I'm not going to hold it against her. But here is the lesson. Why bother with that? I think that 
sometimes even I will feel this way. That sometimes where Jesus is approaching me as I approach Penelope, I look at Christ and I think, if I'm Thomas or I'm Peter, if I have doubts or I've dropped out, I, I look at Jesus and say, Jesus, wait, what are you asking of me? What do you really want? What are you after? I'm, I'm not sure I can trust you. And you know the problem with Penelope? Penelope doesn't know me. If Penelope could read my mind and read my heart, she'd say, well, Dave, you, you actually do love me. I didn't know that. And I do. I really do. I would love to have an opportunity to hold her and let her purr in my arms. I don't mind doing that. But she didn't know me. And because she didn't know me, she doesn't trust me. So when I approach her to say, you know, Penelope, come on. I don't know you, Dave, and I don't trust you, Dave, and so I'm going to hiss at you, Dave, and so get out of my life, Dave. You know, some people approach Christ that way. Christ gets down. He comes down to earth. He walks the dirt with us. He's raised from the dead. He approaches those who would be his followers. And we go, oh, I'm not sure what you're up to. Oh, don't ask me to do that. Ah, if I believe, oh, I never know what you're going to ask me to do. I don't trust you because I don't know you. What Peter and Thomas learned is when they know Christ, the resurrected Jesus, they learned how to trust the resurrected Christ so they could follow him. And both of them did. That's what he does. And then finally, the last little Instagram is Mary Magdalene. Mary in John chapter 20 has come to the garden tomb. She's come to anoint the body. She's been a follower of Jesus for three years. She's been tremendously transformed by the miracle power of Christ. And she was set free from all kinds of evil of this world. And God set her free and now she's a follower of Jesus. She watched him die on the cross, buried, comes to the gravesite wants to tend to the body as they would do in those days. And so she walks in and there is no body in the grave. The grave is empty, of course, because he is alive. She didn't know that. She thinks somebody stole the body. But with the reality of the lesson of Mary is that when you come to serve Jesus, there are disappointments that come our way. She's disappointed in the law. She's lost her Lord, her Master. She's lost her life goal, her life vision. She's lost it all. She thought there was nothing left except a dead body that she wanted to anoint. And when the body wasn't there, she reached a point where it says, man, I don't know what to do next. There will be those days when disappointments come of circumstances, and I don't know what to do next. And the beautiful thing about this story is that Christ was there even though she didn't see him. She turns around, here's a voice approaching her, a person approaching to her, and she turns around and looks at the resurrected Jesus but didn't know that it was him. And the beautiful thing is that there are so many times when you and I are disappointed with life and life's circumstances and we think, well, where was God? Where was Jesus when I needed Him the most? That resurrected Lord, where was He? Well, in this case, Mary turned and looked right at Him but didn't know it was Him. There are days when I and maybe many of us in this room, we go through some significant disappointments and losses and we think, well, where was Jesus? And just like Mary, He's right there. He's with us so that he can come and encourage and bless us. He says to her, Go to my brother and say to them, I will ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and my God. And he empowers her to be the very first person to tell others about the resurrected Jesus, this godly, wonderful woman. Here are three people. The doubters, the dropouts, the discouraged with life, and the resurrected Jesus set them free from doubt 
to following him, to encouraged with a joyful new message that he's alive. There are other stories that we could tell from those days, but I want to tell you one story that's today. A few months ago, I had someone approach me. Her name is Nancy Gomez. She came and she says, I need a pastoral reference to get into Rosemead School of Psychology. Well, I didn't know Nancy. I'd never met her before, but she's been attending here. She worked in some in children's ministries. And so I was very engaged in a number of areas. And so we sat down and I said, tell me your story. What, what's, how'd you get to where you're at today as a Biola grad? Well, she told me her story and I was just fascinated with what Christ has done for her. Her story is a little child where she was injured and hurt by her parents. Her parents were divided up. Her mother moved around with various boyfriends. She said she attended 12 different schools growing up in grade school. And her mother did not protect her from the harm that other men could do. And her mother told her that her father was dead. She didn't know he was alive until suddenly he showed up one day and she couldn't believe it. What are you doing here? And so moved in with her dad, only to have her dad's wife become hurtful to her as well. It became so bad that she couldn't even stay in her home and she was over here at Orangewood for about a year. Place where you go when your home is not safe. And what is miraculous about that is that even in spite of all the odds against her, she attended Biola University and now has graduated and applying to go to Rosemead Rosemead School of Psychology. I want you to hear the post-resurrected Jesus set free Nancy Gomez, as she tells her story on video. Take a look. When I, when I first started coming, I had all these ideas of what Christians were. I had them in this bubble. You know, I, I wasn't open to it at all. But I, I came because I, I was interested as to what, like, what they were sharing. The story that they were telling wasn't the story I had heard. And that's what made me come back every Sunday. Just hearing scripture, like like God wasn't just this judging God, but this loving God. I was like, how come I have never heard of this before? And I'm like, I've been carrying all this pain, you know, like for my whole childhood, for my whole life, my family. And now you're telling me that, like, basically it's not meant for me to carry this pain. You know, and like it, it was, it was hard for me to just let go. The whole first year I was here, uh, watching Dave Mitchell share, I would just be bawling, just tears, just running down my face, and it was, it was a time when I, I was ready to just, just let go, and no one was here to go against me or tell me that what I believed was wrong. I was just embraced and told, like, just come, and that's what I did. One Sunday, um, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and I, I dedicated my life to the Lord. I felt like I was in a new family. I felt like I belonged here. I felt that everything that had happened to me, it didn't matter anymore. It was, it was all gone. God was just releasing me and setting me free. And I, I know that if I wouldn't have come here, I wouldn't have understood everything 
I wouldn't have been saved. I can rely on him no matter what. People are gonna fail me. Every everyone will probably fail me, but he'll never fail me. He's always gonna be there for me. I, I lived in fear for a long time. And when I came here, all that fear is just gone. It's just given to God. I mean, God has done so much for me. And I mean, I don't, I don't even feel that burden anymore of my family, of my past, of being abused. I don't feel anything. I'm just happy for what God has given me, that gift of just like seeing a future, you know? And I, I love that. <laughs> even in the darkest time, he'll, he'll be there with me. I didn't know if it was true that he would be there like if someone was being abused. And now I know that he's there. He's there. He's with you. He's suffering with you. And I, I didn't know that before. You know, we always look at God like as a third person. You know, we don't think that he feels our pain. He does. And that's why he's worthy to believe in and to have faith in. And that's why I believe in him and that's why I know that I have a future because he's going to be there for me. What happened to Nancy was not good at all, obviously, to say it politely. It's terrible. What happens to a lot of us is not good, but as Romans 8.28 tells us, God can make good from that which is not good. Whether you're a Thomas, a Peter, or a Mary Magdalene, or a Nancy, God is still in the process of making something good out of the mess that sometimes we find ourselves in. And what I love about Nancy's story is that she's going to make good out of it by going to Rosemead School of Psychology to become a therapist to care for girls who have gone through what she's gone through. God's going to take that mess and turn something good from it because the resurrected Jesus encountered her, infused her life with new power, new purpose, a new calling, a new career, and other young girls who suffer under the pain that this world can create will have a resource to help them through it. That's what Jesus loves to do, is to take those things, the doubts, the dropouts, the discouragements, and transform us to follow Him. If we turn that camera on us, you and me, and He took a picture of where we're at and the identity that we have of ourselves today, I wonder, what would, what would the label say? Well, let's turn that camera on us. Your picture, would it say set free? Set free by the resurrected Jesus Christ? Like Peter, like Thomas, like Mary, like Nancy? If not, we invite you to enter into that relationship of faith. Based on reason, we know that you may have doubts. You may still have areas that you need to work on. That's fine. 
But the beginning point is to say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me to trust you now. That you will take me on a journey where I can follow you. As each of these took steps, constructive steps, to change their lives. And so I'm going to invite you in this moment of prayer right now. If you'd like to enter into that relationship with Christ, even though there are things you still want to work on, we're glad to come alongside you. We invite you to trust in Him now. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you're a Lord Jesus Christ who is alive, who is risen from the dead, who gives to us hope that in this life we have your life and that in the next life we have all of your life. Father, I pray for any here today who have yet to be set free. They're sort of stuck in those places where they don't want to be. They know it's not good. They know it's not right. No matter what others may say, they realize they need to change. But in their own strength, they cannot do it. So, Father, I ask that your power come upon them and that their faith grows in you, that they will have a faith that is based upon understanding that Christ is risen from the dead, proven by so many lives that have been changed by him, and that, God, you would bring them to the point of trusting in you as well, to believe that you're the resurrected Lord who's still setting people free. If you would like to make that decision, I invite you to pray a prayer with me like this. God in heaven, I want to be set free from whatever sin, whatever issue you have. I want to trust in Christ that he died upon that cross for that sin to set me free from it. He paid the price. Forgive me. Make me well. Give me guidance. Help me now on this journey to trust in you. Thank you for your gift of life, as I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.